and welcome to yet another episode of the Lions Led by Donkeys podcast. Not burping into the microphone is me, Joe, and joining me for the remainder of the series is Sarah. Hi, hi. What's up? I'm also not currently burping into the microphone. Not yet. Um, not yet. And There's time. In the, con- in the conclusion of our series, I should point out that I am no longer drinking ex- expired coffee creamer. <laughs> um, and uh, our, our new sponsor is gas station coffee creamer that won't give you diarrhea oh fantastic as opposed to the the old sponsor which Delicious. would in fact give you diarrhea can confirm yes mm, okay good, good. <laughs> maybe our next sponsor should be like nicer toilet paper <laughs> no our next toilet our, our next sponsor is gonna be the toilet paper from the mres oh. um <laughs> oh. it's actually just high grit sandpaper surprise have you have you ever wondered what it's like to uh, wipe your ass with rocks? <laughs> or something. <laughs> well, now you can uh, with, with a rock or something. Yeah. Um, so, Sarah, we are on part three of our Monty Melconian series. H- how are you feeling about Monty going into part three when he's about to finally go and fight his revolutionary war that he's dreamed so much about? I just, like, it's been like 24 hours since we did the last one. And the whole time, all I could think is like, man, I was never that consistent with my goals as a teenager. Right? I gotta say, I wasn't either. Yeah, yeah. Like he he decided this was his thing and he was gonna make it happen. And yeah, I did that too. I was gonna be a flight attendant, and then I very quickly realized that job fucking sucked. I don't want to do that. And he, yeah, I can't imagine doing that. Oh man, he was just like, yeah, this terrorism thing kind of sucks, but I guess I'll keep trying. <laughs> he was a a market disruptor of terrorism. Um, yeah, it like I do need to point out that like he's still quite young. Uh, he's like slightly older than me um which i i understand isn't that young but for as someone who has had uh, such an incredibly full life of globetrotic bombing um it like most people would assume that especially going into becoming a military commander that he's like in his 40s or 50s and if you look at a picture of him he He, looks like he might be in his 40s and 50s he is not he's lived a lot of life (laughs) Yeah, uh, sitting in a in a French prison for years uh, doesn't age you well, uh, and also fighting in like a dozen and a half wars. It's all those baguettes they feed you in French prison. <laughs> it's like the only thing they that there is to do in French prison is to eat cartoonishly long bread yeah. and then learn how to be a sad clown. <laughs> it's like all of French humor is just like a, a, a smoking clown falling off a bar stool. Yeah, that's his, like he doesn't get yard time; he gets mime time. <laughs> that's so much worse my i don't have a lot of fears in this world to include clowns but if you put me in the same room as a mime i'd be deeply uncomfortable i think that's fair yeah god they were just no i don't like thinking about this this is un, unrelated to anything else but mimes are weird they're unnatural which brings us to our next sponsor the university of hawaii's mime college <laughs> the, this is their advertisement silence with aloha <laughs> <laughs> okay, I'm gonna try to get back. You know, you know who isn't a mime, Commander Avo. <laughs> um, now when we left you last week, or if you're Sarah yesterday, um, he and his detachment of volunteers. Uh, so like, this is something that Markar brings up in the book. I don't exactly know what it means, uh, but he brings it up a whole bunch. Uh, that all these volunteer detachments have like. Uh, very um, over the top names for the most part. Like they're all named after like 
uh, Tigran the Magnificent and like other um, like Grigory the Illuminator and other like very heroic parts of Armenian history. Montes is not. <laughs> he just names it the Patriotic Detachment. I assume because he's never been good with names. Yeah, that's okay. And, and like some of the other detachments, like the commanders, because these are all not really under the government umbrella. Like they fall technically under an Artsat government ministry, but it's more like warlordism right. is more akin to anything. And a lot of the warlord uh, detachment commanders uh, like name the detachments after themselves. Monty didn't do that either. <laughs> Whatever. Um but yeah, he he finally got to Artsakh via a very rickety, shitty helicopter, which oh, he was God. very uncomfortable being in. Yeah, uh, and I can say after riding in the same era of helicopter, it is terrifying. Helicopters freak me the um, fuck out, man. I would never get in one. Yeah, even like well maintained helicopters no. are are uncomfortable to me. No. I don't like flying in general, I, and people uh, I think people already know that. But flying in helicopters, fuck, it just, sucks. Like at least with a fixed wing, like I flew. Like, part of my job for a while was being in a, like, 60-year-old fixed-wing aircraft that was built during Vietnam. But at least it's fixed-wing. <laughs> like, our engines would go out, and we it didn't really bother you because we could glide. Helicopters can't really do that. <laughs> no, you just auto-rotate and die. Um, you don't auto- That's a bullshit myth. You can't auto- It doesn't work. <laughs> uh, I, I rode in a 90s-era late 80s era probably the same kind of soviet helicopter that monty rode in and it felt like it was actively trying to kill us um yeah it wasn't great and and for a lot of people that like this is the only way you got onto art because there was no there's no land connecting talk about this a little bit later on mm. but there's no land bridge connecting the republic of armenia to art oh, so the only okay. way to get there is via shitty helicopter at this point and a lot of them just like fall out of the sky from time to time. Yeah. <laughs> uh, I fucking hate helicopters. Now, Monty got to a local village uh, and he met up with some local fighters, uh, most of them either from Armenia or Artsakh. Kind of no difference. They all mingled together. Mm-hmm. Uh, they numbered around 200 people. Uh, and now, Monty has never been in a, in a military before, but he was around people who carried themselves as professional freedom fighters, revolutionaries, whatever you want to call it. Um, these men uh, were not that. Uh, they were mostly dressed in whatever they had. Um, street clothes, wearing little more than track suits and sandals. Uh, <laughs> classic. Classic war Classic attire. former Soviet Union war attires. <laughs> like, ah, mm-hmm. yes, the Gopnik mm-hmm. detachments here. <laughs> Yeah. Um and their weapons ranged from World War II era Mosin Nagants to some AKs they had stolen from uh the internal ministry soldiers that they had left behind. Uh and most of them had v- little to no ammunition. <laughs> oh. Uh it's not it's not a great place to start. Uh so facing them was the Azeri military and also they had their own smattering of unprofessional militias, but they had mostly an actual military and it was much better put together. Uh, now, a reason for this is um, the how the Soviet army was put together and how it fell apart. Um, several member, like several parts of the Soviet army, when they crumpled uh, and like so the Soviet Union stopped existing, um, certain detachments of the Soviet military just reverted back to like, okay, we're the whatever, we're the army of Azerbaijan now because it was mostly made out of Azeris. Uh, with a couple Russians. A lot of the Russians stayed behind, too, because they're like, well, fuck it, I'm still an officer. 
Uh, that happened in a lot of places. Sure. It did not happen in Armenia, uh, mostly because the uh, the Soviet detachment, there was some motor rifle regiment, which is actually still stationed there. Now it's just Russian, obviously. Uh, was overwhelmingly uh, Russian. So they're like, well, mm. we're just going to stay here and not turn into the Armenian military. Um, yeah. Uh, I mean, they were th- like, there was all sorts of weird shit that happened. Uh, like, for instance, the KGB of in Armenia was overwhelmingly Armenian. And they had actually been um, chastised by the like the the main KGB for being too friendly. Um, they were well, yeah, yes. They kind of weren't good at their job as, yeah. as being KGB, so they just like reverted into being whatever the Republic of Armenia's disappearing people police force is called, um, which everybody needs, obviously. Yeah. Um, now, th- by saying that, that means I'm gonna have a hell of a time going into through the airport next time I go home. Um, now, huh. <laughs> now. Uh, so there wasn't a lot of professional soldiers to uh, dive back in. Now, obviously, at this point, there's a lot of Soviet war veterans from Afghanistan. And, and a right. lot of those guys came from uh, satellite republics. So, like, we talked a little bit this uh, during our Soviet-Afghan war. But one of the main reasons that uh, soldiers were very unhappy with the war was that it was very obviously discriminatory that, like, the the saying was, you'll never find a, a Soviet conscript from St. Petersburg or Moscow in Afghanistan. Mm. Um, oh, yeah, yeah. So they just forced a bunch of people from their, like, well, like you said, from the satellite nations to do their dirty right, work. Right, right. So, like, they, there's a lot of veterans that came back. Like, most of the Armenian leadership during the war outside of Monty is uh, Soviet war veterans. Um, but this and a lot of soldiers but the part there's no organization they weren't part of any unit anymore you know a lot right. of them are missing like legs and shit from uh afghanistan yeah it wasn't exactly a good no, war no and like to the point that we still have no idea how many people died there so like you know there, there wasn't this vast m- military resource to draw from in armenia azerbaijan was much different um Large regiments, uh, or sorry, large remnants of several motor rifle divisions simply switched to become the new Azeri Republic's military. Um, and on the Armenian side, you had some dudes in tracksuits digging trenches by hand and were badly mismatched. Mm. Uh, at this point, the warfare looked something akin to World War One, mixed with like the Congolese War, where there was like small militias fighting one another without really any command and control, um, but with very modern weapon systems uh, because they, you know, pilfered Soviet stocks. Uh, and these guys don't really know how to use them yet. Uh, it's all bad. Um, but they also knew that where this village was, the Azeris had the high ground. And uh, there's three different hills that they had to take in order to uh, take these villages that lay just beyond there, which were Armenian. Yeah, it wasn't exactly um, a good and war. they knew that they had to assault uphill against these much better armed and I, I assume better trained Azeri troops. So you have this much more modern force with modern artillery, machine guns, all this other stuff. And then Mani uh, needs to assault these hills. Um, the, uh, the elevated Azeri positions in order to take three villages. The problem is when the key parts of an infantry attack is fire support. Uh, normally, this is by you know modern artillery, mortars, airstrikes. Obviously, there's no airstrikes going on here. Um, I mean, there would be Crash eventually. Crash a couple helicopters yet. into them, I guess. <laughs> I mean, eventually that would occur, but not quite. Um, and so, Monty dug around um, 
for something. And one of the one of the things in the area was an old Soviet uh like farm institute. And he found a World War II smoothbore cannon uh that had been yeah, that had been modified to fire silver iodide rounds into the sky to seed clouds for rain. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay. And I was not aware that was something that like mm-hmm. worked. <laughs> it I, sort I'm of. not a scientist. I'm barely a scientist. You're the most scientific person currently on the show. The bar is low and I have met the requirements, yeah. Yeah, I, I guess that this the 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 communes would just use this to fire shit into the air and make it rain. Um but the problem was obviously that like they had to modify the cannon to do that and which made it militarily incapable. They couldn't fire silver iodide rounds at the Azeris, which admittedly would be kind of funny. Could, I guess, it just make them all sparkly. I mean, I guess if you hit someone directly, it'd kill them. <laughs> Which, I mean, that's not it's artillery. It's kind of like the ultimate glitter bomb. <laughs> uh, so he decided, I mean, and to be clear, Monty had no idea what he was doing either. Monty was not a farmer nor an engineer. Uh, but he did have a hammer, and he beat the inside of the cannon up until he broke the silver iodine part out. What? Yeah. Um, and then he had some uh, stolen artillery rounds, which were forced to fit. Oh my god. With more hammers. Uh and it worked. Uh, nobody was killed by Monty's suicide cannon. How did it Yeah, how did it not just blow up? You know, I really like uh Makar in in the book says that like Monty probably used it himself first to make sure it wouldn't kill anybody. I would like to believe that, but I have no idea. Okay. I could see not not because it was like purely of noble heart, more because like Nobody else wanted to fucking do it. Yeah, like, and he was, he wasn't like a, a lieutenant colonel like he will be later on. He's in charge of barely 200 dudes, and nobody likes, like, I should, I should point out that nobody really likes him yet. I uh, remember he barely speaks Armenian, um, and he went to Artsakh, which is a much different place than mainland Armenia. Um, like, Artsakh is very regional, very factional. There's like, uh, clan politics and things like that um and monty is none of those things he's a dude from california uh so like a lot of people were very suspicious of him um and and even about leading him so like the idea that someone's like yeah i'll fire your fucking suicide cannon i don't give a shit i believe he probably used it first yeah and like people pretty openly tell monty to go fuck himself from time to time and don't listen to him to like this is not a disciplined military so like it's not like he, you will fire this cannon no <laughs> um so yeah that that was their fire support um and then he began firing it at azari lines and then over the next seven hours Armenian forces, backed by a single cloud-seeding cannon and armed with mostly bolt-action <laughs> rifles, slowly retook each village in human wave attacks because they didn't know what else Jesus. to do. <laughs> if it's stupid, it works, right? Yeah, if it's dumb and it works, it's not dumb. Um, and one of Mani's things was, like, he knew that... Uh, and this is something that will come up time and time again. Almost at every point in this war, the Armenians are outnumbered and outgunned, but they do not lack motivation. Uh, so he knew right. that if he got up close and fought the Azeris, they wouldn't have the guts to stick it out and fight. And more importantly, they would not be able to bring fire support on them. Uh, this is something that's actually pretty common amongst 
underarm forces throughout history, like the uh, the Viet Cong and the NVA did it to the United States as well. They called it like holding on by the belt um, because it was too close to calling artillery and airstrikes and you'd have to fight them hand to hand, which, right. you, you know, you have, Smart. yeah, it's hard and it, it requires a very good commander and very good troops in order to like hold them together during something like that, which the Azeris lacked yeah. for most of the war. Um, so you have a whole bunch of dudes in flip flops and Adidas track pants running at you with bolt action rifles. You're like, fuck this, I'm out. <laughs> yeah, right. Because it's not like it's not like any of the Aziris like have an attachment to that land either. I would say no. They would probably disagree. Um, <laughs> well, yeah, whatever. Yeah, um, I would say that their their attachment is not valid. Uh, but I'm biased. Uh, moving on. <laughs> At the very least, it's not as personal as they're like, because the Artsakh forces, a lot of them are either from that area or they had family from that area. Like they had a, a personal like attachment to these villages. Yeah, most of these, uh, especially later on the war, uh, you know, Mani would move around to different parts, but most of the fighting forces are, are village and, and regional based. And uh, right. you have to think of how the Armenians saw this conflict and how Armenians saw the conflict in 2020 and the one in 2016 that nobody likes to think about is that this is just another step in the genocide. Like, you either win or you die. Yeah. Uh, the, the, for the Azeris, yeah. it's a war of conquest. Um, I know, like, they'll, they'll f- in 2020, they frame it as taking back their homeland or whatever. But for Armenians, it's like, we need to win or we're all going to die. So, like, there's... It, it's, it's considered a war of survival. So, obviously, people are going to fight much more desperately. Um, right. Though... After this uh, victory over the uh, the three villages that they took, they were not able to savor it. It's at the uh, Karincharkar front, around 15 miles away, the Azeri forces were advancing. So instead of being able to sit around like, hey, look at these villages, look what we did, they ha- immediately had to stop what they're doing and began making the trek oh. over that way. Um, like I said before, this is not an organized force. They couldn't just be like, hey, can we get some trucks or whatever? Mm-hmm. Um They'd walk. Uh, they they could only bring what they could carry on their backs, and uh, the fact that most of the like they did loot a lot of good weapons from these areas, but a lot of them they actually had to leave behind. Like you can't tote artillery, uh, like you can't drag yeah. it along without anything. You couldn't. Like, they didn't take any um, trucks or or APCs quite yet. Uh, so everything they took, like people were like leaving medical supplies behind, so they could take more ammo and things like that. Um, and not to mention that, remember, like, even if they did loot a ton of stuff, a lot of the shit that they were using was like that silver iodide cannon, which is like, you know, homemade. Um, and one of the things that they still were very, very short for a short of were mortars, you know, some short range fire support, indirect weapons. Um, so they tried to make them himself. Uh, now this wasn't Monty. This was a few other people. And Bonnie actually sat through a class on how to do something like this in a, PL- a PLO camp years before. And he knew what one looked like that would work and one that didn't. And he told people, like, you should <laughs> fucking not use that. It will kill you. Uh, so they try- That's a very valuable skill set. And yeah, uh, like at least the, the ability to point something out and be like, mm, that looks like a blow up in my face. Uh, yeah. They did not listen to him. Um, and when someone dropped a mortar on it to test fire it, it blew up. Uh, and it fucked up quite a few people. Uh, now, Jesus. Mani was nothing if not pragmatic. And remember, he always thought of things in the form of optics. 
So this ended up being something of like a propaganda coup for Mani. Uh, he took the twisted up homemade mortar that had exploded and a jacket off the dead sol- one of the dead soldiers that was still covered oh in God. his blood. Then he made a video. Uh, which you know is much harder to do because he had to like actually use one of the giant old like eighties era video cameras. Um, yeah, had to pop a VHS into it. Yeah, uh, and he made a video saying like, "This is what our sons are fighting with. Like they're uh, like the brave mm-hmm. sons of Armenia are dying because their weapons are killing them." Uh, and he sent it out. Um, now, that's a bold move. It worked. It one hundred percent worked. Um, huh. Because at this point, Armenia itself is having a hard time funding their own military. Artsakh has no fucking money at all. Uh, so, like, yeah. the, the detachment leaders are having to fundraise themselves. And a lot of detachment leaders did this by looting. Uh, Mani refused to do that. And he did not let anybody do that in his detachment. Um, so he sent, cool. yeah, he sent this video out through his brother back to California, where... There's more Armenians living Using than those connections. Yeah, I mean that's this is how all things always work. I mean the IRA did the same thing. Uh, like uh, Shox loves to tell me about like in Boston you would see like jars on uh, businesses tables that would just say like for the cause, and mm-hmm. like so that you that's pretty cool. Yeah, like you fundraise through the diaspora, and so like he made. He didn't make like a killing doing this, but he made like tens of thousands of dollars, which went a long way yeah. to buy. Yeah. yeah. And the funniest thing is like, Mani couldn't buy these weapons, right? He's in a war zone. So his partner had to buy them, Seta. Really? <laughs> yeah. Man, she's badass. She's fucking awesome. She's still alive. Uh, I think she lives in California. Uh, nope. And she wrote a book about her and Monty's life together, which mostly turned it to me, reads a lot like Monty's off fighting a war again. <laughs> I don't know where, but uh, yeah, like, I mean, you have to think at one point she made connections with the future president of Armenia, knew enough fucking uh, weapons dealers to smuggle shit into a war zone. I'm just going to say, I don't want to hear fuck all from any of the military spouses in the U.S. anymore. Yeah, exactly. Um, And uh, Mani did get some stuff in person and like, because there were still some Russian soldiers around in Armenia. Sure. And they uh, like agents of uh, that worked for him would just like go up to Russian soldiers and offer them money for weapons, like even their their personal arms, and it worked. Uh, this happened a lot. Um, like we made this joke during. I keep talking about the Lord of War bonus episode, but uh, when like you know the detachments of the former Red Army just opened up their stocks for people with a lot of money, and that happened at a personal yeah. level too. There was no accountability for anything at this point. Right. But then he uh, returned back to the front with all of the, these uh, new weapons, ammo, and uh, like even boots. Like they didn't have boots, so like he he was going big. Like I could use some mortars, but also shoes. Uh, shoes are always a thing people forget to buy. Yeah, nobody ever like like any like any conflict zone. Like there's always like oh our shoes we don't have any. Yeah, you'd be surprised how how important a good pair of boots are. Now that. Obviously, it doesn't matter depending on where you're fighting because the U.S. has gotten their ass kicked by dudes in pajamas and flip-flops on numerous occasions now. <laughs> but, you know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm just saying they probably would have preferred to have boots if they'd had an option. 100%, yeah. Um, now, when he returned back to Artsakh, Monty had a little bit more confidence because like, he just had this huge success getting all these weapons. Um, and he also realized that he, no matter how many weapons he had, there was a pretty serious weakness. And that was the fact that he did not have soldiers. He had largely untrained local militia. Uh, so he began to treat them like soldiers, hoping they would act like it. Um, and it worked. I mean, he, uh, he gave strict orders that nobody was to uh, shoot anyone that didn't have a weapon, which 
pretty uh, impressive for the time. Uh, a lot of these local militias and warlords were 100% out for vengeance, and war crimes did occur. Uh, we'll talk a little bit about a couple of those later on, but uh, like it wasn't uncommon for them to take a village and they're just uh, like some of the detachments take a village and then just start shooting anybody who wasn't Armenian. And uh, the same goes for the Zeri side as well. But Monty threatened anybody who did in his detachment, he'd fucking shoot them themselves. He never did from what I can uh, find, but I, it tells me that people believed him enough that he would do it, that it was enough to scare them. Yeah. That's a lot of restraint too, considering like his first assassination attempt was a uh, yeah he killed kids kind of the opposite yeah. of that yeah yeah one hundred percent difference growth character growth yeah yeah and he he would go down um like he protect whenever they took over villages he told the Azeris they did not have to leave but if they did if they wanted to leave he would make sure they left um unmolested right um to yeah. the point that uh like there was a joint attack on a village with another detachment. And um, the other detachment was not as disciplined and wanted to kill uh, Zeri men, uh, like military-aged men, to make sure they couldn't come back and fight. Uh, Monty did not let them and, protect- and protected the people as they left. And like when the uh, Zeris left and were interviewed by a Russian journalist, they were like, if it wasn't for Monty Melkonian, we'd all be fucking dead. So, like, yeah, it, pretty cool. character growth. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. Quite a glow up. <laughs> God, I hate it when you call it that. <laughs> and also within his uh, detachment, he outlawed drinking and smoking. Monty did not smoke, and he hardly drank at all. And he figured that you know, there was a huge problem with uh, smoking at night, which is a tactical fuck up, and also pe- people yeah. casually drinking while on duty. So he figured the only way he could fix that was by getting rid of it entirely. Um, now, this might shock you, Sarah, and anybody listening. Armenians love to drink. No. Yeah. Uh, it's a thing that we do. What? Yeah. Uh, so a lot of fighters in his detachment had a fucking problem with this. Um, yeah, I imagine. Because rather than like going on the honor system, Monty went through and snatched up all their vodka and dumped it out. Uh, and when they demanded to know where all the vodka was, he's like, I dumped it over there by the tree and I fucking pissed on it. <laughs> uh, now they confronted him saying uh, they always drink at their meals just as their forefathers had done. And Monty countered with, quote, then your forefathers were jackasses too. <laughs> <laughs> and it, it, like, damn. Remember, all these guys are Ar- like Armenians from Armenia or Artsakh, and this guy's just like coming through, like, yeah. no, you're not gonna fucking do that anymore. <laughs> like, and it works. Well, like, yeah, our forefathers did that. Your forefathers are dead. <laughs> I don't know what to tell yeah. you. If you want to keep doing that, you can meet them. Um. <laughs> so, and slowly, like, some people left his detachment and joined other ones, but like, he got his detachment under his control. Uh, most of them began to. Uh, listen to him mostly out of respect because he didn't do anything he he told them not to do uh which is you know a quality that people look for in a leader is that they're not giving you orders they can't follow themselves um yeah and it wasn't that like the people weren't allowed to drink at all it was that if you're on the front you cannot drink if you're like back in stefanakert or armenia itself then you know drink your ass off but like if you're out here you are sober uh, which, yeah. no shit. Makes sense. Yeah, it's not, yeah. <laughs> like, no fucking shit. 
Yeah. Um, yeah. Um, now, the same kind of discipline could not be said for other detachments. Uh, now, Monty was eventually given com- overall command of the Martuni Front, and uh, he was ordered to take a nearby village. Now, this village had repulsed an attack uh, by two other detachments at the time. And now given overall command over the operation, his attack went off smoothly. Uh, it was him and two other detachments that, that took it. And he, you know, he asked the village to surrender. They refused. Uh, mostly, like, like you know, uh, Armenian villages, the Cesare village was mostly defended by locals. Um, and it had some military detachments in it. Uh, but they surrendered uh, and 48 people were taken prisoner now most of the offensive was taken over by um, monty's detachment but once the offensive was over the two other detachments came into the village um they pushed uh, the the two other ones uh stole from the prisoners and then pushed them into a ditch before murdering them with a machine gun jesus this is what's known as the the gargandali massacre and it's one of the things that the uh as Aries will point to, that Armenians committed a genocide in Artsakh. Um, they did not. It does not meet the definitions no, of a genocide. That's not what that is. But it is one hell of a war crime. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, th- then the two detachments just moved through the town and completely looted it. All against. And remember, Mani is the overall commander, and he gave orders that no prisoners were to be harmed. Um, you'll see people that um, discount Monty Melkonian as a war criminal. Um, and you know, it's hard because technically they were under his command. He gave explicit orders for them not to do it. And it occurred anyway. Um, yeah. but after that, he reported the master, the massacre to Stepanakert and nobody seemed to care. Um, when Monty heard of another massacre this time in Kolje, um, or Koljali, I'm not sure how to pronounce that. Sorry to any Armenians listening. Um, uh, mm-hmm. he, kept hearing about more and more war crimes being committed by Armenian militias. And he was disgusted by the fact that nobody in government did anything to stop it or hold anybody accountable. Uh, so he stormed into the president of Artsakh's office himself and demanded the detachments uh, that are at fault for these massacres be removed from his command and moved somewhere else. And that's the best he could do because the government was not going to disband them or hold anybody accountable. But he at least got them kicked out of Martuni. Um you know, uh, it's it's hard, like, cause like, it, obviously, war crimes are going to take place. War is awful, and killing civilians is indefensible. And I wish Monty would have fucking shot them, but you know, uh, yeah, the gov- the the government of Artsakh itself was largely powerless at the time. Uh, uh, and at this point, it's kind of like if these detachments actually wanted to, they could have just killed the government too. Uh, it was it, it was right. pretty much 100% warlordism, um, which is right. never a good way to run anything. It's what what happened is completely indefensible. Uh, it's not a genocide, but anybody who tries to defend it or uh, revise that bit of Armenian history is no better than Turks. So stop. Um, yeah, yeah, on. it uh, happened, <laughs> and like just like especially in a system like that where it is just the government giving random people power. Right, like Monty. Anybody who was anybody who had the like that kind of moral fortitude, like Monty did, was was an anomaly. He absolutely That's not was. What you expect? Yeah, I mean, when you think about it, Monty had no business being this good of a person. Uh, he was like, no, <laughs> he was no. he was given the command of attachment 
while everybody knew he was in the country on a false passport because he's a fucking wanted terrorist. And he ended up being right. like... And he'd already botched a bunch, bunch of these like actions when he was doing the terrorism, like when that was what he was up to. Yeah, exactly. I mean, it's like... Uh, to a, a much lesser extent, the same like career arc of like Abdallah Ajalan in the PKK. <laughs> like, <laughs> mm. he went from like uh supporting blowing up civilians and be like, hmm, I fucked up. We shouldn't do this. <laughs> yeah, he like Mister like Mister Beaned himself into success. <laughs> hey, he persisted. Okay. Uh, <laughs> Nevertheless. <laughs> Oh, uh, it's gonna make it. It's gonna make a a, a t shirt that only about a hundred people are gonna get. I love it. Um, oh, you know what's more important than uh his you know failures as a commander, which is you know what they are. Um, he did not let this shit go. He wouldn't shut up about it. Uh, he reported it to everybody who would listen, but he also made sure that it wouldn't happen in his own. Uh, because that's the only thing he could directly control because the government's powerless to to reel in these warlords. Uh, Monty compared these other detachments to a virus. Like the 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 longer they are around his soldiers, right. um, the the more their attitude would bleed into them. Uh, like their indiscipline would spread to other units in Martuni even after they were gone. Uh, fighters were skipping duty, not manning the trenches, stealing, ignoring orders. Others were just like running protection rackets, uh, like militias. Um, and that's something that he found, like he, no, he's commander of this entire front and he found members of other detachments that, you know, technically were under his control. We're running like protection rackets for villages to like squeeze out other villages. And like one of the things he did was go. Yeah. It's one of the things that he did is go through and get rid of them the best he could. Um, and instead of yeah, you know, uh, discipline at this point is virtually and uh, now in other detachments, I mean, discipline boils down to physical beatings. Um, no, some detachment leaders uh, were reported to shoot people that they were unhappy with. Um, Monty didn't do any of that. Instead, he uh, he did something that he learned from the PKK, and that is when someone did something wrong, he forced them to stand in front of the rest of the fighters and announce to them what they did that was wrong and how it hurt the unit as a whole. Yeah, if people refused to take part, they were kicked out of the unit. Um, and lo- <laughs> it's like a struggle session. It's a struggle session, but it's also like all those dog shaming pictures. Yeah, <laughs> it's just like an Armenian fighter with a sign around mm-hmm. his neck saying, "Like I chewed on the couch, <laughs> I ate the turkey off the counter." Yeah, and like it worked. He effectively mother hemmed them into That's becoming a soldier. Uh, and like it, it's. Something, I mean, to a lesser extent, the U.S. does that as well. Yeah, like, uh, sure. and, and like, if you do something wrong, you're publicly shamed in front of your comrades as to how it hurts the cohesive, uh, you know, unity of whatever unit you're in. Um, you know, because your you as an independent person are significantly less important than the than the body. Um, at, but especially when it comes to the military, um, yeah. for for a unit the Navy to function, has, like perfected this, and that they do public NJPs. Oh, I've heard about those. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's not. It's not every time you go to cap. So, so in the Navy, if you get Article Fifteen, right, uh, non-judicial punishment, it's called a captain's mast, which is some like nautical. That's some old timey shit. I love it. Um, I don't love the- it's. It's so it's not everybody goes to public mast. It is definitely like if the CO sees somebody they can make an example of, they'll decide to make it public. And there's like 
even then there's like degrees of it. Sometimes it's public, but you're not forced to show up. And other times it's like all hands. Everybody at the command has to come and watch some asshole get yelled at. That's incredible. And the, it doesn't, but it, like, it doesn't work. No, at least in the Navy now. Well, I mean, I'm glad know, it worked for Monty. It's, it's different because none of these guys are drafted. Uh, these guys are all here yeah. voluntarily. Um, yeah. they, they can leave whenever they want. Um, it, unlike, you know, some semen or whatever. Um, yeah. I mean, technically, they can leave whenever they want to. Uh, this is not going to go very well. Yeah. Uh, now, in one incident, because um, like, like I said, a lot of commanders would talk to talk, but would not be an example for their men. Mm. Uh, there's a lot of old boyism, cronyism, straight up, you know, uh, fucking gangster shit. And Monty wanted to prove that he was not one of those people. So when he found out one of his closest friends and someone he'd known for years and a member of his detachment uh, had stolen a jeep. Um, he put himself at, on half rations for failing to control his own sub commander. Aww. And he willingly told everybody uh, that, like, you know, if if you see me not doing this or not following the rules, remember we're a unit. It's your job to hold me accountable as well. Mm-hmm. Like I can't catch everything. So, and also, obviously, he punished his friend for stealing a jeep. <laughs> Another thing, because like he's effectively an occupying commander, right? Like they're taking over right. a lot of these villages who had never had um, Armenian security forces there. I mean, there's you know under the control of the Soviets, maybe the Azeris right. came through, but now like he also has to win the trust of all these villagers, right? Um, so he not only held villagers accountable under the same rules, but also his men accountable to the villagers. Now it's it's also important important to point out that the villagers hardly understood him when he spoke due to his bad <laughs> Armenian. Right. Um, but Speaking they did Lebanese deep- Armenian with a Californian accent. Yeah, <laughs> Barev, bro. Uh, <laughs> they, like, but they did learn to deeply, deeply respect him um, because nobody was above the law when Mani was around. Because, like, it's it for the first time in a lot of these villagers' lives, a representative of the government did not play favorites um, yeah. because, you know, because like even during the Soviet times, that was not the case. Uh, like at one point, an older sure. village woman dubbed him, quote, our holy son and kept giving him jars huh? of buffalo yogurt. <laughs> what? Yeah. It was, uh, uh, so yogurt drinks are, are, are super common Armenian food. Um, and it's like he didn't drink uh, alcohol, but he would like drink yogurt constantly, which just sounds like okay. it would destroy my fucking stomach. It's got the good gut flora, though. Yeah, his gut flora was about as thick as his beard, I guess. <laughs> That's so gross. <laughs> Hairy-ass gut flora. Ugh. I mean, as an Armenian, I have to point out, my insides, I assume, are also mostly hair. It's gotta be at this point, right? <laughs> now, uh, after this, Monty was promoted to district commander. And he, he was one of six in Artsakh. And uh, now, you remember his small detachment of around 200 dudes was now several thousand people. Uh, now, while this was happening, the war turned dramatically in Artsakh's favors uh, as Armenian soldiers won massive victory one after another. This led to the collapse of the Azeri government and the rise of a ruling national council in its place, which would also then eventually collapse, um, leading to a, a more vigorous nationalist coming into charge. Uh, and one of the reasons uh, they came to power was because they wanted to commit everything Azerbaijan had into an offensive to the war, which, 
you know, included tanks, APCs, jets, things like that, uh, which led to counter gains. Uh, it did not take long for uh, Monty's district and Martuni to come become completely surrounded by Azeri soldiers. Um, and he was kind of fucked. Monty had around 4,000 people, uh, and the Azeris had 15,000. Oh. The Azeris also brought hundreds of tanks and APCs, uh, while the Armenians were happy just to have boots at this point. Um, yeah. And, uh, Gotta the- protect those toes, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it's cold. You know, mountains suck. I'm glad they have boots. I'd rather have a tank in this situation, but whatever. Yeah, you take what you can get. What, what are boots, if not tanks, for your feet? <laughs> Deep thoughts. Um, mm. God damn it. <laughs> I'm not going to stop <laughs> laughing at that now. Uh, so You've got to have, like, tank slippers out there that you could buy. They have to. Joe, why why don't you have slippers that look like tanks? I, I need to find those now. Um, so if that means like if your boots fall apart or like you lose a foot, is that just like losing a track? Basically, <laughs> yeah. Need to get new treads. Uh, that means like you have to routinely uh, maintenance your feet by injecting them full of grease. Um, yeah, you got to lube them feet. <laughs> Thanks, I hate it. Uh, it so the Azeris were not alone. They're also joined by Russian regular army units, uh, as well as irregulars from the Turkish fascist organization known as the Grey Wolves. Um, and there's also rumors of fighters from Pakistan, Afghanistan, and Chechnya. <laughs> Thankfully, it'd be the last time Azerbaijan <laughs> did that. That doesn't sound familiar at all. Yeah, yeah. They, they certainly have a history of paying terrorists to, to do war crimes on their behalf. And also, fuck the Grey Wolves. Eat my ass. Moving on. Um, the Grey Wolves are, have been um, uh, vi- like pretty much they're Turkish Proud Boys. <laughs> um, oh, they cool. Beat, they fight people in the streets. They've killed people. They assassinated a journalist that uh, was researching the Armenian genocide in Turkey. Um, they're really big in France because both um, the Turks and the uh, Armenians have huge diaspora populations there. And uh, running fist fights in the street are not uncommon. Um, yeah, it's they yeah. suck. It's just two of my least favorite things. <laughs> yeah. Um, now, uh, now that Martuni was surrounded, the Azeri settled in for a siege, and they blindly began to shell Martuni. Monty took a page out of Stalin's book here, unfortunately. Now, he knew holding Martuni was incredibly ta- uh, tactically important. If it fell, it would open up a pretty easy path for the Azeri forces to advance through. He knew he had to hold it no matter what. And he knew that since most of his fighters were locals, he had to keep their families in the town to keep them fighting. He, so he refused to allow civilians to leave the city oh. while, while they were oh, being Oh, yeah, shelled. I just connected those dots. Ah. Yeah. Ah. He was afraid that if the civilians left, his fighters would leave too, and there would be nothing left to defend. He also seized all diesel from everyone in the area uh, so it could be used to the very few tanks they had at their disposal. Um, and to be fair, Artsakh was desperately low on fuel everywhere, and there was no sure, go- yeah. there was no government logistic system. It was all stolen. So he, you know, harvested every bit of the Martuni countryside to fund his war. Now his his reason for that was uh, you could die in Martuni, or you could run and you'll eventually die anyway. So you might as well die in the trenches. Yeah, uh, which you know, not a great war tactic. Except it almost always works. Um, yeah. The siege went on for 10 months before the Azeris launched their assault. 
By now, everyone who could hold a weapon in Martuni was in the trenches, men, women, and children, even some who couldn't. In one case, a 12-year-old boy used an RPG that was too big for him to fire at incoming tanks. Though that did not stop the the 12-year-old from crawling between fighting positions and using the rocket launcher to disable two different tanks to destroy a BMP fighting vehicle. Jesus. That kid's fucking awesome. Like, I get it. Child soldier's bad. Uh, but like, bad. bad. Hot take. Bad. I, I need to frame this in a way that people understand that I'm not cheering child soldiers here. Um, resistance and things like this are common uh, for oppressed peoples or people at threat. Uh, this is not the first time Armenians have done this either. During the Battle of Vaughn during World War I, um, they realized that if the Ottomans came into the city, they were all going to die. So at that point, are you really above giving a gun to your 10-year-old son? I think it's um, the difference between like going out to recruit children and saying like, "Hey, like the, for for the child, their town is getting attacked." Yes, right. <laughs> like there's nowhere to run now. Granted, yeah. Mon- Monty did create this, um, but yeah, yeah. It was, it, but you know, he created it. I mean, and, and you're you're the reason why I don't have another Armenian on this episode because we will <laughs> talk our way out of this being bad. But um, it's bad. It's bad. It's um, bad. <laughs> The the way of thinking was, why retreat? Um, You know, they're coming to kill us all. We need to fight them. And so it's like quite literally total war at a village level. Um, It doesn't make it like morally right. It it makes it the tactically correct choice to make, which there's no room for morals there. Um, And like, to to be clear, he said that there can be no child soldiers in his detachment. And he was commanding 4,000 people. He probably didn't see them all. For sure. Um, but yeah. there was child soldiers fighting his detachment. And they killed a hell of a lot of tanks, apparently. That 12-year-old's got a hell of a body count. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, a lot of the, the Armenians held on in their trench line. And a lot of this is because the, Az- the Azeris were simply bad at war. Um, it was kind of like a really shitty action movie where they attack one part at a time. Even though they had them tactically surrounded. Like, not everywhere yeah. around Martuni could be assaulted. Uh, Artsakh is a very mountainous place. Very hard to travel through. But instead of committing all of their forces to battle at one point, they kind of just, like, sent in probing attacks. But large ones in one specific area of the Martuni line at a time. Uh, so instead of overwhelming all of their defenses, they just kind of, like, poked and prodded one place at a time. Huh. It's it, it's dumb. Uh, it, it sounds dumb as hell. Yeah. Uh, the fighting went on for days, and every time the Azeris returned back, but they didn't like stop their assault into the area. As the fighting wore on, the hardly equipped and dressed Armenians became rich with captured Azeri weapons and vehicles. They went from having one tank to dozens. Uh, <laughs> yeah, and they kind of had to train themselves how to use them. Nobody had any idea how to use these fucking things. <laughs> Um, never once did Monty receive a single armored vehicle from the Artsakh or Armenian government, but at this point he was commanding what had amounted to be two companies worth of armor. Jeez. Um, at one point, a uh, a journalist actually went to Artsakh to interview uh, Monty, and you actually can find these uh, interviews on YouTube. And he said that he felt very bad for the Azeris when, and when the uh, the journalist asked why, he said, "Quote: They're struggling to arm two armies. Theirs and ours. Look at everything that we have now." <laughs> it's, Fucking burn. Yeah, like imagine being surrounded by tens of thousands of soldiers and still like sneaking in a burn. 
Just like, this is fine. Bring me more tanks. Yeah, right? Now, using these new weapons, Monty kind of took an, uh, a guerrilla offensive against the Azeris. Uh, and a, a reason for this was, uh, it's it's like I said, it's very hard to move large units of of anything through Artsakh. Uh, there's very there's very few roads. The ones that exist are very small, like single track. Um, mm. Now, what he did learn is if if you're say the Azeris and you put a whole column of tanks on one of these roads, it's very easy to ambush from a high spot. So that's what he started doing. That's like yes. Yeah, that's how you lose things. Uh, like he, yeah, he sent small groups out into the mountains to scope out all the roads, and then as the Azeris were building up an offensive to go towards like the main line, he would just ambush them for miles at a time. So by the time they got to the actual main trench defenses, there was nothing left. <laughs> now, um, despite forcing. Uh, the the civilians to stay under withering artillery fire and stripping every drop of fuel and food from them to keep the food the keep the fight up against the Azeris, the villagers loved him. Uh, a common phrase in Martuni was quote As long as Avo is with us, we will have victory. And he, oh, like I, I said, he had to routinely too. he had to routinely turn away children who would uh, f- volunteer to fight. I assume the twelve I, I assume either twelve years old was the low limit, or that one slipped through the cracks. Yeah, that, that kid just looked particularly badass. Yeah, I mean, he was Armenian. He was twelve. He probably had a beard, had a full beard. Yeah, he was now, already balding. It was wild. <laughs> now you're just describing me, and I feel attacked. <laughs> now, one of the reasons for this uh, adulation was obviously all the military vi- victories, but uh, also because Monty was kind of above local politics, and I don't mean that because like he didn't care. He simply didn't understand. Oh. Uh, Artsakh was an it was and is a very old place with very old problems. Like I said before, his like inner clan and inner village drama and politics, like um, like blood debt is a thing or was a thing. Mm. Um, and Monty didn't really know about any of this, so he ignored it. Uh, and because he wasn't part of the local scenes and had local problems with local beefs, he was mm. permanently neutral. This led to him being brought in to mediate local problems. Uh, mm-hmm. between local people and he was he couldn't have favorites because he didn't fucking know anybody yeah <laughs> which is a weird way to it's be fantastic. above everything yeah and so he, people began to think of him as incorruptible which is one way this for that to work more mr bean shit <laughs> he's like your your problems aren't important have you tried shutting up yeah they're like huh you're right oh one person called it a, a naive simplicity, um, which is fair. Uh, but as a lot of state functions had not been set up or have been completely destroyed in the war, nothing was reliable. However, Monty's naive simplicity became the most reliable institution in the entire district. <laughs> <laughs> he became so good at his job, he was eventually promoted out of it. Um Mostly because, like, wow, he's so good. We need to spread this everywhere, which oh my God. I guess is is not a bad thing. Now he left Martuni and he put it in charge of his sub commander and was put in charge of a plan he had been arguing since the war began. Now, like I talked about before, Artsakh and Armenia are not connected in any way. Right. But he thought in order for this war to exist and for Artsakh to exist as a 
independent nation or as part of Armenia, they needed to be connected by a land bridge. Because uh, like this whole time, supplies, no matter what it was, men, uh, material, whatever, had to be airlifted there via helicopter. Yeah. Uh, Armenia didn't have much of an air force, and Artsakh didn't have an airport. So, you yeah, know, so you're still it does like now. helicopter loads. Yeah, it, it does kind of now, but you still can't take like, you know, a passenger plane there. Um, yeah, and not to mention pilots, spare parts, all of those things, um, and lack thereof made helicopters incredibly unreliable and in short supply. So it was bad. Um, Monty's plan was for the first time lead Armenian forces in an invasion of traditionally Azeri territory into the Kalbajar region, the region separating Artsakh from Armenia, and join the two forcefully. Hmm. Now, um, it's bold, and it it sounds like it shouldn't have worked, Uh, but Monty made his intentions very obvious, and soon civilians began fleeing the region. Uh, he held his attack throughout most of uh, of the month until all of the civilians were gone because he didn't want them caught in the crossfire. But unfortunately for Mani, this being a war that is hardly being held together at the seams of warlordism, mm. the best intentions still lead to violence happening. While his forces were watching the refugees leave the area, a green military truck appeared, flooring it down the road. Monty and his soldiers assumed it was a military transport because it was a military truck, and they opened fire on it. It finally broke down on the side of the road, riddled with bullets. Monty was horrified to find 25 civilians inside, many of them dead, some of them wounded, and he postponed his offensive in order to make sure the wounded get transported to a nearby hospital. Now, this is something that I need to kind of uh, explain a bit, because this is something that, like, kind of has a direct correlation to my experience in the military. We talk a lot about war crimes on this show, and I feel like I should point out what this is. This sounds terrible, and it was, but it's not actually a war crime. Um, Monty and his men fired on what they thought was a military transport. Yeah. When, they discovered it, when they discovered it wasn't, they followed the Geneva Conventions, which they were not even signatories of and fighting for a nation that does not technically exist by getting civilians to the highest level of healthcare that could be reasonably provided in the region. Um, now this is why I, I always have, um, I always strive to make sure people understand that war is not black and white. Mm-hmm. And so, while some war crimes absolutely are, Robert Bales comes to mind. Mm-hmm. Um, but intention is important, uh, and, and sometimes war is war and bad because war is a bad idea. Um, but that is another thing that is uh, point out that uh, Mani is you know a war criminal uh, or a murderer by his Aries. And I don't know if Monty himself actually fired on it, but his soldiers did, and under his orders. So, um, if it's bad, it's certainly not good. Like, uh, it's regrettable, and he did. Yeah. He was he felt awful about it, but you know he made sure his his men were were not feeling awful because you know they shouldn't have been hiding in a military vehicle. But right, shit happens. Unfortunately, like, sometimes it's just a horrible accident. Yeah, uh, I mean, like something similar has happened um, quite a few times in uh, Iraq and Afghanistan yeah. when like s- soldiers are manning checkpoints and uh, someone blows through a checkpoint, um, ignoring uh, signs that they should stop and they get shot. It's not technically a war crime. It is regrettable and it's awful, but it's not technically a war crime. And I'm saying technically a lot because you are shooting civilians. Um, yeah. And at this point, you really are splitting hairs. Um, right. Now, uh, moving on. Um, 
when Monty moved forward, uh, what he always would do is post outside of a village and order the town to surrender to, you know, hopefully avoid fighting. Um, and when he did this outside the town of Kelbajar, the mayor, who was also the commander of the local defense forces, refused the surrender. Um, so Armenian forces moved in and took it in short order. In only a few, uh, only four days, an architecture student turned terrorist turned military commander from California had done something nobody had ever done for over a hundred years. Four he had days. Yeah, <laughs> four days. Holy shit! <laughs> he, he had united Artsakh and Armenia via a land bridge. I understand the statues now. <laughs> oh yeah, uh, we'll talk a little bit more about those later because there's probably more than you'd think. Um, <laughs> Now, one person Monty had not talked about his little plan was, was the president of Armenia, who was pissed. <laughs> hey, I got you a land bridge. Oh, you didn't ask for a land bridge? Ugh. Now, like, the president was, you know, pissing on razor blades here, uh, like, trying to split hairs about how he wasn't technically fighting a war against Azerbaijan. Uh. He was worried that the offensive would lead to Armenia's inter- uh, international isolation, which it did. This is when Turkey slapped a trade embargo on Armenia, which still exists to this day. Um, but, I mean, Turkey was supplying Azerbaijan the whole time, too. So it's right. really the Spider-Man pointing at Spider-Man thing here. Um, now, during the last two years, Tur Petrosian had been trying to cozy up to the West. Uh, what he was really trying to do, much like uh, Pashinyan had tried to do, was cozy up to NATO. Uh, join NATO, and they would allow, uh, like, they'd be able to flex with NATO, telling Turkey to cut their shit. Yeah, As always, Turkey's it doesn't already work. In NATO. <laughs> yes, uh, it does not work, and it never will work. Right. Um, uh, so yeah, Armenia became slightly internationally isolated and then dependent on Russia, which still is the case today. Right. Uh, now, now Tur was pretty shocked by the fact that the, his plan did not work, but Bonnie was not at all. Uh, Just before the offensive, he told a reporter, quote, the United States has an extremely tight relations with Turkey. They count on Turkey for a lot of things and is sort of their puppet in the region. Turkey does what they want to do. They have a strong army. The U.S. wants to use that army to police Arab states, to police Iran, and to enforce U.S. policy in the region. To do that, the U.S. is is willing to totally ignore the rights of an awful lot of people, including the Kurds and Armenians. Yup. (laughs) Still tracks. This is true. Yep. That's the like you want you want to cozy up to the West and you don't want to piss off like Turkey any more than you already are. But to in order to do that, you have to let your entire country basically get overwhelmed. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> cool. Cool. I'm glad you curried favor with the West to the point that you no longer exist. Yeah, and I should point out that Tur Petrosian, uh, well, technically the father of modern Armenia, was also a horribly corrupt bastard and was forced out of politics for it. So, you know, fuck him. Hmm. Um, though, if it wasn't for him doing what he did while he was the Supreme Soviet, Mani wouldn't have been able to be there, and the history would look a lot different. Um, now, the Artsakh offensives would not end with the union of Mother Armenia. Instead, Monty would invade Azerbaijan again, uh, this time capturing the Agdam Plains. Now, um, this is not quite what he ever had in mind, but he wasn't comfortable. Uh, because even with the Kalbajar offensive, it could be argued by some Armenians uh, to be part of historic Ar- the historic Armenian homeland that he was uh, always talking about, Greater Armenia. Mm. And I'm sure my comments are going to look like a Balkans YouTube comment section <laughs> after this. Uh, 
I, I don't know if I completely agree with that um, myself, uh, but sure. What I, that, that, that was how Mani rationalized right. it in his head. Right. But Agdam was never part of Greater Armenia, and he felt very uncomfortable being ordered to invade it. Uh, but he did. I mean, it's not like he was like, no, I can't do that. He's like, all right, fuck it, let's roll. <laughs> sure, why not? Though his his reason for that, though, was because he thought if they captured it, Azerbaijan would have little hope of continuing the war, uh, as Armenian troops, or Artsakh troops, would only be a few hundred kilometers away from the capital of Baku and have a pretty easy time marching there if they captured it. Not that they ever did, but, you know. Dream big. The idea was, you know, you capture Agdam, the Azeris have no choice to be like, okay, fuck you. We're like, we like uh, almost like a North and South Korea thing. There's not going to be any peace, but at least the war will end. Right. Um, now, Monty and his staff advanced with the main units, as he always did. Uh, people had constantly warned him to stop doing that, but he thought, you know, he, being at the front was where he needed to be. Um, and he, this was not what he was used to. Um, you know, uh, the Artsakh roads were normally paved, or at the very least, they weren't used to, you know, dusty roads that he had no way of maneuvering on. Uh, and they were so dusty and dry that it was very easy for soldiers to get randomly lost or vehicles to just run oh, into wow. one another. Yeah. Shit. And that's kind of what happened. Uh, things became so confusing that Monty's car got lost. Um, and they decided they would simply have to return to the nearby town of Mersuli, uh to link up with what he thought were his tanks. Uh, and they would be able to like guide them better. And as they were driving, they got, got, they got caught in traffic behind a BMP-1 uh, some, uh, armored personnel carrier. Very old one. Uh, not so out of date then as it is today. <laughs> um, now, Monty kind of realized like, huh. I don't really remember us having a BMP-1 when we began yeah. this offensive, but Suddenly. vehicle stocks are pretty fluid. Uh, Armenian forces yeah. would capture stuff from the Azeris, and they'd be immediately turned around and put back into use you know, an hour later. Yeah, so suddenly like, it yeah. becomes an issue that all of your armor looks exactly like your enemy's armor. Yeah, and w- they wouldn't even get a new paint job. Like The most they would do is just like spray paint over the Azeri flag on the side. <laughs> Now, uh, the BMP stopped in the middle of the road, and some soldiers jumped out to take a piss and started smoking. Monty's driver, a guy named Gomidas, uh, pulled the car over to talk to them to find out where the fuck they were. Uh, so they, he approached the soldier and asked them which way the town was. The soldiers, hearing him speak yeah. in the Armenian language, panicked, as did Gomidas, uh, because it seems their car and this APC had both been lost and accidentally ran into another, <gasps> and the APC was Azuri. Uh, the, the the soldiers who were smoking grabbed their rifles and started shooting at them. Gomitas yelled out, boys, at the rest of the people in the car. They're fucking Turks. <laughs> <laughs> and both sides uh, started shooting at one another. Uh, now, uh, Gomitas only had a handgun. And uh, Monty was still in the car. Right. Monty grabbed his weapon and ran out to join the fight. But they were badly outnumbered. And there was a BMP there uh, who right. quickly started like uh, using its crew guns against them. Fuck. And nobody, nobody's entirely sure what happened next. But Gomita says when he ran for cover behind uh, uh, a tree to get a better firing position on the vehicle, he turned around and saw Monty laying dead in the street just a few feet behind him. Shit. Yeah. Um. Reinforcements eventually showed up, chasing off the Azeris. Monty's body was moved to a church in Martuni when his partner Seta had arrived, and she saw throngs of men, women, and children crying over him, screaming for Avo Jean, or My Dear Avo. They begged Seta not to take the body back to Yerevan, but to be buried instead 
in the town of Martuni for everything that he had done for them. Uh, now, one of Seta, uh, one of Seta's last things she said to them is like she wishes she could, but Monty's last wishes were to be buried at the capital of Mother Armenia. Mm-hmm. So his body was loaded into a helicopter and flown back home. His body was led in a procession through the streets of Yerevan and was greeted by over 200,000 people. People screened for Zuovaravo, or General Avo, despite the fact he'd only recently been promoted to lieutenant colonel, and the rank never really mattered to him anyway. Uh, In attendance were the president of Armenia, every member of parliament, every minister of the cabinet, and even the U.S. ambassador, despite the fact that Monty died a wanted man in the country of his birth. (laughs) Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Monty was buried in the Europlar Cemetery, overlooking the uh, Mount Ararat, a highly sacred place for Armenians. And he was eventually awarded the Order of the Combat Cross in the First Degree, the National Hero of, the, of Armenia Award, the National Hero of Artsakh Award, and the town of Martuni was named in his honor, becoming Montipert, or Fort Monty. Mm. Uh, and there is so many fucking uh, statues of him around the country. Um, like, for instance, uh, uh, when you swear in to become an officer in the Armenian military, you do it in front of a statue of Monty. Um, and Strangely enough, the uh, a man who never once attended a military university has yeah. a military college in Yerevan named after him. Why not? <laughs> yeah. Um, and uh, I know I said I wasn't going to talk about uh, Markar much, but um, after this happened, um, a member of the, of the Azeri detachment believed to have killed Monty um, uh, was captured and brought to Markar uh, because, like I said, there was something of like a blood vengeance tradition in the region. Mm. And uh, they were pretty much offering, like, you can, you know, take him and kill him over your brother's grave, um, if you'd like. And uh, Markar refused, because he's not insane. <laughs> and <laughs> he said, you know, if you respect Monty, you'll let this person go unharmed. Yeah. Um, and, they, and they did. Yeah, I mean, his whole thing was, like, once, once whatever soldiers they were up against surrendered and they weren't, like, combatives anymore, he didn't, he didn't kill them. He made sure that they, they weren't murdered if he could help it. Yeah. <laughs> Why would he want uh, this? Yeah, uh, and like, you know, um, Markar is still alive. I believe he's a, uh, a professor in California somewhere. He wrote the oh. book My Brothers Wrote. I highly recommend it. I-, I had to leave a lot out because a lot of it's just about his, um, uh, what he believed Monty's uh, motivations and beliefs mm-hmm. were, which didn't really flow great with the story. Um, like a lot of it is ignored by some people who like to change his memory around a bit in Armenia, making it more religious. Oh, like right. it's common to call him Saint Monty in some places, but he was absolutely a Marxist. <laughs> um, uh, he he's obviously an Armenian nationalist, but uh, you know he his beliefs evolved over time. But um, it's definitely one of one of the more uh, strange arcs of someone's personality in life, from going from a bloodthirsty terrorist who was like totally okay killing kids to um, being like the the beacon of morality in yeah. the middle of a fucking yeah. horrible war. Wild. It's it's and, crazy too that like he was able to to adjust adjust his morals as he sort of grew as a person, but never really changed his overall like desires. Like he still wanted to to fight for Armenia. He just decided that it kind of meant different things at different stages in his life. Yeah, I believe he did like the normal and honestly logical thing that a lot of you know, pie in the sky ideologues don't really have is that he started with like this, um, like huge dream of uniting greater Armenia mm. until he realized like that's incredibly unrealistic 
And, you know, uh, instead, you know, we need just to fight for survival, you know, um, because he has numerous quotes saying that the only people who care about us is us and we have to fight or we're all going to die. Yeah. Um, And, you know, I was always very interested in him for obvious reasons as being an American Armenian myself um, that it's it's such a weird like and it's it's a weird connection um, for the diaspora because you know, Americans love to point out their ancestry, no matter what, if they're, they're a quarter fucking Irish or whatever. Yeah. Uh, but it's always a lot different when you are Armenian. Um, when, like, you know, I, I think I've joked about before, the second you meet anybody and they find out you're Armenian, you, you're immediately connected whether you want to be or not. Um, and this has, like, happened to me on countless occasions, um, even through the internet. <laughs> like, yeah. And, and it's, like, um, uh, people will offer you, like, when you travel there... Uh, and your diaspora uh, people will offer you their fucking guest rooms to sleep in free of charge, free food. Uh, they'll show you around. Uh, it, it, it's just like a very weird uh, connection to um, Armenia itself. Like, obviously, I'm I'm not a nationalist. I'm a bit of not even much of a statist. <laughs> no, but you. It's, it's, it's always... <laughs> right. It, it's always strange how deep the connection to the culture is, uh, even yeah. if you're not steeped in it. Like, uh, like that's one of the reasons why I've always been very attracted to the mythos of Monty is we both had very similar upbringings when it comes to our Armenianness. Mm. It was almost all self-taught. Right. Um, yeah. Like it's all very weird that like things like that are always connected. Um, but yeah, uh, that's Monty. Uh, I hope you I hope you enjoyed our series, uh, Sarah. I know this is a very niche topic for you. No, I liked it. it's. He's an interesting guy with like a really, really unique story arc. Yeah, yeah, and it's. I, I don't think I've ever done a, a series that like I'm 100 percent like I just want to do this for me, <laughs> um, and that's what the series was. Um, as and you know after the the Khmer Rouge <laughs> series, I felt like we all kind of needed a palate cleanser. Uh, you know, a series that isn't overly sad all the time. Um, obviously, you know, Monty Malconian died and that sucks. He'd still be alive today. Um, maybe. But, uh, you know, that's... But it wasn't a waste. Like, No, absolutely like, not. He accomplished... the, the man did more in his short life than anybody, most other people can ever dream of. Yeah, yeah. Uh, so we do a thing on this show, Sarah, called Questions from the Legion. Oh, do we? Um, we do. Um <laughs> If you'd like to ask a question from the Legion, uh, you can donate a dollar, slide into my DMs on Discord or Patreon or my email, and ask me super flurious bullshit that has absolutely nothing to do with the show at hand. Um, <laughs> it's my favorite. It's honestly, it's honestly some of my favorite things. And like normally during series, we 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 wait until the last one, um, and that's you know it's the last episode. So um, today's a Legion question is one that was asked actually a very long time ago, and I'm just now getting to it. Is a uh, uh, what is a band that you liked growing up that you still will absolutely stand? And mine is very easy. It's Nirvana. <laughs> it's still my favorite <laughs> band. It's been my favorite band since I've been probably eight years old. That's pretty. It's pretty dedicated. Uh, it's it hit me at just the right time. Yeah. You know, um, you know, I was very into grunge because I was a, I was a little sad boy growing up, and like you know. I came from a broken family and had like incredibly untreated mental illness. Mm-hmm. Uh, much so, like you know, the incredible, like the angry disaffectedness spoke to me. And I'm not much more mature now than I was then. <laughs> I don't. 
So growing up, like I didn't have access to my own music. Any music that I was able to listen to was either like whatever my parents put on in the car, which was always country or whatever my older brothers had like illegally burned onto CDRs and then left around the family computer. Hell yeah. Yeah. But like, this is really dumb. One of the bands that like I still go back and listen to every once in a while, I still get stuck in my head is the Decemberist, which is just like dumb. It's a dumb hipster band from Portland. It is like full Portlandia level of like obnoxious <laughs> hipster. And every once in a while, that's just what I want to listen to. Uh, it's like, it's weird because like, even though like I was an emotional teen and like got really into uh, Nirvana, it's like now if I listen to them, it's like comforting. Mm-hmm. Um, not not to mention, Kurt Cobain is probably one of the only rock stars from the time that aged well. I mean, it probably well, helped he died when yeah. he was 27. But like, yeah, he uh, in, in the early 90s, he was like campaigning for uh, gay rights and like played at like, um, uh, it was like no on Prop 9 or something like that in yeah. Oregon that would out that would like force people like the schools in Oregon to teach people that like, um, homosexuality was was like an uh, abnormality disease, yeah. and bad and this is in the 90s yeah not not uh, a popular like, stance at the time no of course not um and like he uh was well, what else was it um he wrote like liner notes on um i believe it was in utero or incesticide that told people like if you um if you hate gay people or you're a misogynist fuck off we don't want your money don't buy our records and leave us the fuck alone and stuff like that man like Twitter would have ruined him, but he would have been great on Twitter. <laughs> I mean, he was just like sad and strung out all the yeah. time. I don't, Twitter. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, he's it, like it's one of the worst parts. Is like I'm, he'd be making so much good music now, uh, mm-hmm. but also he'd probably do something awful because you know he was a neglectful chunky. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Uh, well, least- Sarah. Thank yeah. you for joining me on, on only our second series ever with a guest. Um, oh. So, yeah. Uh, long special. time ago during our uh, Yemeni Civil War uh, episode. That's now badly out of date. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, yeah. Uh, thank you very much. I hope you enjoyed it. I hope everybody listening enjoyed it. And now, uh, since we neglected to do this during our last two episodes, this is the plug zone. <laughs> plug your plug your pluggables. It's just been a build up into the plug. Yeah, yeah. I am... Um, I also have a podcast that is uh, quite a bit different than this one, where I talk about ocean science and ocean um, ocean policy and kind of the environment in general. I'm not a marine biologist. It is not a fish-based <laughs> podcast, though occasionally we talk about fish. So fish pod. just going to preemptively disappoint everybody. It's not it's not about fish most of the time. Um, but it's, you can find us. You can find I was us under the impression that it's a whole pod of whales. <sighs> I do talk about whales. I do. I do just really. That's just like, I just like them, though. I'm not an expert. I just think they're neat. I just think they're neat. I just think they're neat. Um, <laughs> but you can find us wherever wherever your pods are cast at um, It Came From The Sea. And you can also find us on Twitter and Patreon. We're there. Thank you. Yeah. Uh, that, was a, that was a good plug for the plug zone. Uh, I feel plugged. <laughs> I, I feel very plugged. Um, and until next time. Uh, this is normally where I have a cute oh. quip about what not to do. Um, we won't buy a cannon and shoot silver iodide into the atmosphere? Is that bad? It can be. Cloud seeding can be. <laughs> okay, well, until next time, don't spend your money on cloud seeding, I guess. <laughs>